expectations. Perhaps even this morning you woke up with an expectation of your morning beginning in a very specific way. Um, However, before you knew it, a very different scenario began to unfold. The shirt you pulled out to wear had a stain on it. I kid you not, I wrote this a couple days ago, and I pulled out a shirt this morning and had a stain on it. I'm like, are you kidding me? The very illustration I was going to use happened to me this morning. Couldn't find the socks that match. He got in your car to get here. It was on E. Expectations. You just want things to go well. You think to yourself, am I really expecting too much? Are my expectations really that great? But no matter how great or how small, we all deal with expectations every day. Things like, I expected to have a very happy family. But the reality of it is there's a lot of struggle and turmoil. Things like, I expected to have a good job, a comfortable income, a secure retirement plan. But the reality of it is it's a falling apart. There's no security in the job. You're not much long, sure how much longer you'll be there. You expected to have lots of friends and good relationships, and yet you find yourself very lonely. You expected to have a modest house in a nice neighborhood, but you realize that the house that you once loved is falling apart. It needs a lot of repairs. You expected to have a good education to help, help you rise in that job, but it just never happened. You expected to have a good and respectable life, and yet you find yourself isolated. Expectations. For whatever reason, what you expected hasn't been your reality. If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 11, I want to kind of highlight just one story that really deals with expectations. Maybe from a different perspective than what you thought of before in your past. But how do you deal with expectations? I mean, is it, is it one of those things that you just kind of go, oh, well, it is what it is, or is there a way that we can deal with it rightly? Is there a mindset? Is there a perspective? Is there an attitude that we should have that would help us walk as God would have us to walk in a world of unfulfilled expectations? I believe this is a story in God's Word that we can all relate to. And the story is about the family of Lazarus. In fact, you may recall the story of Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with an, uh, with an ointment and wiped His feet with her hair and And Lazarus is her brother, and he was very, very sick. Let's look at this story here in Lazarus, uh, 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 John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, with the story of Lazarus. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was here, her brother Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there twelve hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble, because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. 
And Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go so that we may die with him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. And Lord, that we might learn to have a right response to those things, Lord, that are contrary to what we desire. And I pray, God, that you would challenge us, Lord, to think differently. That we might trust what you have for us in your perfect will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mary and Martha were both very concerned about Lazarus. Obviously he is sick. He's very sick. And uh, so they called for Jesus, knowing that Jesus loved Lazarus very, very, very much. But Jesus, this is very interesting, Jesus replies to Mary and Martha and says, This illness is not unto death, but that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And then what does Jesus do? He doesn't go to the house of Lazarus. In fact, he goes to Judea, the place where the Jews just spoke of stoning him. I mean, here they have an expectation here, right? I mean, here they know who Jesus is. He's God's Son. He's down here in the flesh. He is the Son of God, and He has the ability to do anything that He, you know, and He's all-powerful, right? We know that. And they know just in the, in the realm of what's taking place, Jesus can fix the problem. And so they have this expectation. We're just going to call on Jesus, and Jesus is going to come, and He's going to fix everything. Anybody ever had that expectation before? Let's be honest. We all face those difficult situations and we look at those scenarios that we wouldn't choose and we didn't pick and, and if we had a choice, we would never go that direction. But God supernaturally allows them into our life for a reason. And so here Lazarus, he's sick, he's dying, and they have the solution to the problem. It's in getting Jesus here and Jesus doesn't come. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've wanted Jesus to show up for something. And I wanted Jesus to be there. I wanted Jesus to fix the problem that I was facing. Maybe you have too. You have this financial need and you don't know where else to go. You don't know what to do. But you know that God has the answer. And you're trusting Him. You're trying to trust Him. And you're saying, God, I know you can fix this, but He doesn't do it. And you got this scenario, you don't feel good, you got this health issue, and you go to the doctors and it doesn't seem to change, and you know God has the answer, He has a solution, He's a great physician, and yet we pray to Him, we put our heart out to Him, and God doesn't do it. And we wonder why. Where is God? Is it really asking too much for God to just simply do this thing? I think so often in our lives we have all kinds of expectations, and when we don't get our way... When things don't happen as we would pick, as we would choose, then all of a sudden we're frustrated. Because in our flesh, we don't have the answer, even though we want it. Even though we know that God could do something, but for whatever reason, He has chosen not to. How do we deal with that? I mean, here it is. They said, Jesus, this is Lazarus, the one that you love. And there's no question that Jesus loved Lazarus. I remember in high school, I memorized the verse, and I said, I memorized the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. Jesus wept. But it was a point of, uh, point of interest to know that he loved him so much that he wept for him. He was close to him. But what does he do? He doesn't come when they call for him. He stays there a few more days, and then he decides to take the disciples and go off to, to the Judea. And uh, the disciples say, Are you crazy? What are you thinking? They're talking about stoning you there. Don't go that direction. 
He says, we're going to go there and then we're going to go visit Lazarus because he's falling asleep. We've got to wake him up. Well, if he's waking up, you know, then, he, then he's going to be okay. Right? I mean, he's just sleeping. He'll be fine. Well, no, no, you don't understand. He is dead. But remember, everything that Jesus Christ did in his ministry was for one reason, that he might be glorified through it. Everything is for his own purposes. So did, Jesus did the exact opposite of what they expected him to do. And there's something that we can learn from this. In the times that we face in our life and the expectations that we have, we want God to fix them, but sometimes God's answer is not now. Sometimes it's no. And we have to learn that God knows exactly what He's doing. Um, we have to realize that Jesus Christ knows everything about the scenario. He knows how it's going to unfold. And oftentimes what we don't realize is that God knows what's around the corner, even though we can't see it. Just this week I was uh, driving down the highway, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm driving, wow, this is backed up for like miles before it usually gets slow. What is going on? So for several miles, we're just inching along the highway, just inching along. And all of a sudden you turn the corner and you see the blue lights and the red lights and the flashing lights and the ambulance. And accident, cars pulled over, you know, police. And we can't see what, right, what lies around the corner at times. But rest assured, God knows what's there. God knows exactly what's taking place. And sometimes we just want to just blaze through life and we pray for a life of ease, don't we? Every time we get in the car and we go on a trip, God, give us traveling mercies. We pray for everybody, everything and everyone in our family that we might be healthy all the time. We pray for a life of ease. And sometimes what God wants from us is just, wait a minute. Just trust me. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. But that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? To trust Him completely. So Mary and Martha, they're a little bit frustrated because... Their expectation is not being met. Jesus doesn't come. And how we respond to these unfulfilled expectations truly reveals our level of trust in God. Did you get that? How we handle those unfulfilled expectations really reveals how much we trust in God. In addition to God's, God's will is infinitely greater than our expectations. I know that bothers some of us. That God's will for our lives is infinitely greater than our own expectations for ourselves. Because God is supreme. In fact, we, we make all kinds of statements when we come to know Jesus Christ. As we walk with the Lord, we say that in all things He might have the preeminence. That in all things, that God would be glorified. But it's only when it's convenient, seemingly. When it's convenient, I'll give 110%. When I have extra, I'll throw a little bit more in. If I have extra time, I'll donate it to the church. If I have a, a relatively easy week, I'll spend more time prayer in prayer and reading God's Word. And then we come to church and, boy, it's just we've got our, our Sunday suit on, our Sunday Bible under our arm, and, boy, we've just got a happy Sunday smile on. But life is full of expectations, and most of them revolve around our own selves. God's will is infinitely greater than our own expectations. We've got to get to that point where we understand that. That life is not about us. It truly is about Him. And we have to remember that God knows all things, and if He allows our expectations to go unfulfilled, He has a reason for it. 
He has a purpose to fulfill through it. And John 11, verse 4, tells us one of his purposes for which Lazarus was going to die. Was that so he would be glorified. So let's get back to the story just for a moment. The disciples are trying to understand what Jesus is telling them. And eventually Jesus says it straight out in verse 15. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Does that sound a little bit different than what we would expect? I'm glad I wasn't there. Well, wait a minute. Let me understand this. Let me wrap my mind around this. If you were there, you would have helped him. You would have raised him up. You would have healed him. But you're glad you weren't there? I thought you loved him, Jesus. It doesn't make sense according to our minds, does it? It's so contrary to the way we think because we're so used to saying, God, I want you to do this. And, and, and as one person said, we kind of make a God of our own making because when God does this and, what he, and He fulfills my expectations, then God is in this box and, I, and, and He does exactly what I need Him to do. That's not always how God works. God works outside that box. But can you imagine what is probably going through their minds and through the minds of the disciples when He says, we're going to go to Judea instead? We'll get there, but not right now. And God is saying, just wait. Remember, he's got something else working in the, in the fire over here. He's got something else cooking over here. He's, got, you know, he's going to get there, but he's got a reason. He's got a purpose to fulfill. He said he was glad he wasn't there. And I'm sure the disciples said, I don't get this. I don't, I don't understand where he's going with this. Meanwhile, the news is getting out that Lazarus has died. And many people are already gathering at the house of Mary and Martha to console them. And when Jesus arrives at Martha's house, she's not happy. Kind of like some of you would be if you had this specific request. He has the ability to fulfill the request, and yet he has chosen not to. You'd be disappointed too. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says this. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, can you imagine? She's pretty audacious at the moment. She's looking at Jesus, and in essence, she's saying, this is your fault. Had you been here, he would have never died. Maybe you've done that before. You ask God to do something, he didn't do it, and so God, I don't understand, why didn't you do this? And you get a little upset with God. This is your fault. What does Jesus do at this moment? Look <laughs> at the verse. I love this. Let me get back to the verse here. Verse 22, Yet even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus simply says in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. I mean, Jesus, yeah, you've taught us that. There's going to be a day when... You know, yeah, I get that, but right now he's gone. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. But everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. I, I think she's still a little bit confused here. She understands who Jesus is and what he has the power to do, and he understands what he will eventually do, but what about the here and the now? Because that's where we all live, right? We live in the here and the now. Right now is when I want something to happen. This is when I want my expectation fulfilled. Right now. And she understands that later something will happen, but what about now? 
Martha still has this faith that Jesus can change a scenario if he would just pray to his heavenly Father. God has the power, she says. The town people have a bit of a different take on the situation. What's the town saying? Look at verse 37. But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So here's the scenario. He's setting the stage. Remember, why does God do what he does? So that in the end, he might be glorified, right? So in the, in the mind's eye of the town, the town's mind eye, however you want to say that, they know that Lazarus is gone. Even the town people are saying, well, couldn't he who uh, you know, gave sight to the blind, I mean, couldn't he have just been here? They had an expectation of what Jesus should have done. Jesus knows what he's doing. And by waiting the several days, it is clear that Lazarus is gone. What does the King James Version say? His body stinketh. I mean, he's been in the grave. He's gone. And it's clear to everybody in town that he's gone. This is where Jesus shines brightest. When everybody has this idea of what is going to happen, doesn't happen. See, the body doesn't stay there and rot and decay, which is awesome. Maybe you've had those same thoughts, only a lot different. Couldn't have God done this? Couldn't have God done that? Should have God done this? Should have God done that? We all face those things. Couldn't couldn't God just make my life just a little bit easier? I mean, couldn't God just give me that raise at work? Couldn't God just... Fill in the blank. Yeah, he could have. He's God. God can do anything he wants. He's sovereign. He doesn't need permission. He doesn't need to make arrangements. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. So why doesn't he do it? He doesn't have to. But our job is to trust him no matter what. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And we have to believe that. We have to know that. I want you to look at verses 38 and following with me. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so they may believe you sent me. Remember, the town has an expectation of what Jesus should have done. He's dead. He should have done something about it. He could have. He did it before. But the sage is set. Everybody knows he's dead. Even Martha at this point, his body's decaying. It's been four days. Verse 43, And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Can you imagine if you were there just for a moment, being there and watching this take place, and all the crowd is like, what do you mean? What? What? He's dead. What are you calling him out for? It's where Jesus shines brightest, in doing the impossible, in doing the unexpected. See, they had expectations, and now he's, Doing the unexpected. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips. And with his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. 
Can you imagine being there and watching this unfold? I mean, this is better than any, any movie that's ever been produced. I mean, the crowd is there. They have all these thoughts going through their head of what is going to happen, what's not going to happen. And probably nobody's sitting there saying, yeah, you know, dead man's going to be walking out here in just a moment. But they're all glued to what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. And Lazarus steps out. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do in the beginning. And he did it in a way that would bring glory to himself. Because now that he has raised him from the dead, he has just proven that he is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And that changes everything. In these minds of the people who are standing and gathering around, they just witnessed a miracle of epic proportions. So what can we learn from the story? I want to just make three observations or a couple observations that we can apply to our lives. Number one, God knows everything about our life. Everything. Let me just say everything. He knows your secrets. He knows your fears. He knows your frustrations. All those things that make up what we call expectations in life. I expect to wake up in the morning. I expect to put a fresh set of clothes on. I expect to go to work. I expect people to be kind. I expect my car to run. I ex- he knows everything about us. Everything. Just as he did about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and how they were going to respond and what their expectations might or might not be. And sometimes what we expect God to do in our life is not as good as what God's going to do. Sometimes God does something far greater than what we ask. Isn't that awesome? I thought this last summer, this, just a few months ago, as we prepared to go on our mission trip as a church, I was thinking to myself, if we could just raise a couple thousand dollars, that would be awesome. It would be awesome. I asked God for a couple thousand. I kind of set that benchmark at 2,000 our first trip. God brought almost four. Isn't it awesome when God does far better than what we ask? That's awesome. And because of it, we have a, a little bit of chunk of that left over to put in next year's trip. Sometimes what we expect God to do is not as good as what God wants to do. And yet, because we're selfish self-centered. We have this little sphere of, you know, my world and my universe that I want God to make just right according to what I think is good. And God says, i got something greater. Something far better. Not only do is sometimes God do far greater than what we expect. The key to not having unfulfilled expectation is complete trust in God. I said, well, how does that work? Let me say it again. The key to not having unfulfilled expectations in our life is complete trust in God. You see, when God doesn't do what we expect Him to do, do you still trust Him? Will you still rely on Him? Place complete confidence in Him? You see, our trust in God is based on our intimacy with God. How intimate are you with God? See, when you get to the place where you're intimate with God and God doesn't do what we ask Him to do, you just realize and just come to the conclusion naturally that God's got something else in mind. But if you're not close with God, not intimate with God, then there's a a deep-seated root of bitterness that can come in because God didn't do what I expected Him to do. God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. 
Why not? But when I trust Him, I know that He's not going to make any mistakes. I know that He's not going to do anything that is not for my good. God makes no mistakes. I know this, that there have been times in my life that I just expected God to, and He didn't do it. And I've had to learn that God has something else in store. But I trust Him. How, how, how does that happen? Take God at His word. What does Romans 8.28 say? All things work together for... To everybody? No. To them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do I trust God enough? I, do I love God enough to trust Him to do what He thinks is best in my life? Period. Do I love Him enough to trust Him? See, if I don't love Him, if I'm not intimate with Him, if I don't spend time with Him, I'm not cultivating a relationship with Him, and things don't go my way, then I'm ticked. But the more I love Him, the more I realize that He has my best interests at heart. But the key is to love Him and trust Him. God does only those things that will bring glory to himself. And if God does not fulfill what I want him to do, he's got another plan in mind that I need to just rest in him, trust him for. I don't know what kind of expectations you have, but I do know this. God doesn't make any mistakes. None. And he's not going to start with you. He does not make mistakes. He's able and I believe that he knows what is best for us. What does Proverbs 3, 5 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. See, that's where our life gets a little messy. We have an idea of how life should go. And, oh God, I got this one. I don't, I don't need you for this one. I, I got this one all under control. And we just go on our life's merry way doing what we always do. Because that's what we do. We just live life. And then when the, you know, the monkey wrench, you know, the, you know, the wrench gets thrown in the gears and everything else and it messes up everything, then we plead to God after we've complained to everyone else. Now we need God. Things are all in shambles. Now I need Him. But what about before the wrench gets thrown in the gears? Saying, God, I need your help. I've got decisions to make. Lord, I, I, I'm planning to do this, but what's your will? Or we want to just stop and slow down and just say, God, what is, what is your desire for this situation? Another passage in the Old Testament I just want to read very quickly. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 says this. I know, Lord, that a man's way of life is not his own. And no one who walks determines his own steps. What a God that we get to that place. That this life is not mine. And I'm not determining my own steps. I'm just going the direction that God would have me to go. I'm walking with Him. His Spirit is leading me. I'm following His lead. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I know, Lord, that a man's way of life is not his own. See, Psalm 16:11 says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Are we willing to trust Him? We need to be careful as to what you think is best and wise and rest in what God knows to be best for us. 
One more passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Love this passage. I want to begin reading with verse uh, 18. It says, No one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written... He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are meaningless. So no one should boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. We need to be careful that we don't become wise in our own thinking. If we would be careful in this area, and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm submitting myself to you. I'm surrendering my life to you, Lord. And whatever you have fit for me, whatever you see fit is best for me, I accept it. Rather than saying, hey, I got this all under control, God. I got this thing, I got this thing covered. I can do whatever I need to do. God, if I need you, I'll get a hold of you. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 3. Be careful that we don't rest in our own wisdom. Because really, our wisdom is nothing. We need to trust God. So when we have expectations of how life should unfold, we need to funnel those expectations through what God knows to be best for us. And if we don't get our way, that's when we need to look to God and say, God, I trust you. I know what I wanted, but God, you must have a different plan. Would you show it to me? Would you just reveal it to me? God, would you give me faith to trust you? Because I don't understand at the moment. But I want to. See, the whole key to not having unfulfilled expectations is just trusting God in every aspect of life. If you don't, bitterness will set in. Um, I had a professor in Bible college years ago who used to say bitterness comes in two forms. I either had something and God took it away, or I wanted something, and God said no. Either way, it's expectations. I have this thing in my life. It's a family. It's a child. It's an education. It's a job. It's a whatever, fill in the blank. And God somehow allowed it to be taken away from my life. Or I wanted these things, and God said no. And if we're not careful, if we don't trust God in those scenarios... Bitterness will set in, and bitterness will destroy. It will take you down and those around you. Be careful. We need to trust God. Lazarus came back to life because Jesus Christ had a point to prove, and the point was he's great, he's awesome, he's the giver of life. But everyone knew he was dead. Everyone knew that his body was decaying. Everybody knew that he stunk. Come forth, Lazarus. And he's glorified through that. Because now they see that he is actually God in the flesh, doing what only God can do. And when God works in our life, and it's obvious that he's doing it, all glory goes to him, not ourselves.
not our own wisdom. It's not our own ability. It's not our own finances. It's not our own health. It's all His. And He's glorified when we surrender to Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to be here, to see this